Our guest today says Gen Z is a generation that does not have the support systems necessary to meet their mental health needs. Hello, I'm Chester Elton, and with me is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gosta. Well, thanks, Jess. Yeah, if you're in this younger generation or if you manage or care for someone in their 20s, how can we help them and you thrive with a new set of tools? That's what we'll be talking about today. As always, we hope the time you spend with us will help reduce the stigma of anxiety at work and in your personal life. And with us is our new friend, Dr. Sarah Adler. She's a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at Stanford University and the CEO and founder of WaveLife, a mental health platform that pairs accessible coaching with engaging and immersive skill building for Gen Z. Welcome to the show, Sarah. We're delighted to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me and for addressing this incredibly important issue. Well, it is, and we're, we're so grateful for all that you are doing. Um, so talk, you know, start by just talking a little bit about Gen Z's current state of mental well-being and how maybe us as employers can directly support, especially those entry-level employees, those younger people who are coming into our workplaces. Yeah, it's, I think that the first thing for us to understand as employers of Gen Z is that this is really a generation that is unlike any other generation. And if we think about it, this is the first generation that has been um, growing up on digital. So these are digital natives and they communicate very, very differently. They communicate primarily on um, their phones using text-based communication, which really changes how we sort of understand and how we actually interact. And I think just coming from a basic place of understanding that communication is going to be different and it's something that we need to uh, really tackle head on is one of the most paramount important things. Talk you a know, little bit more about the mental well-being too. Like I say, communication is important. What about where where are we at right now? Because when we talk to younger people, they tell us, "Look, we talk about our mental health every time we talk with each other." But with you oldies, we never talk about it. So, it's so where are they at right now? Because I get asked this question all the time: Is this you know is this generation more anxious than other generations, or do they just talk about it more? I think it's both, really. I think once you actually give and you um, provide the language or the taxonomy to be able to name and label things, you're going to be increase the amount you're talking about it without a doubt. You're also going to create awareness. So when I think about mental health, I think about it on a continuum rather than sort of in categories. So our generations, older generations, tend to think about mental health as either you have it or you don't, whereas the Gen, Gen Z is actually spectacularly, uniquely set up to understand mental health the way I think we should be thinking thinking about it, which is something that's more on the continuum or kind of you're riding the waves in life. Sometimes you're up, sometimes down. Now, I lovingly call this generation the misery generation because I do actually fundamentally think both the combination of their unique circumstances and their experience of being in what's kind of a messed up world is, is valid and true, but also the coping skills, the parenting styles of my generation, um, as well as really the socio-political factors that are sort of contributing to what our world looks like, climate change, um, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, mass genocides, all of these other things that are really truly happening in the world, Gen Z has access to them in a much different way, in a much realer way, in a much more saturated way. So sometimes I like to think about this as um, 
you know, we were all around for 9-11, which was a, a great tragedy. Psychologists really told us, stay away from digital, right? Stay away from the repeated visuals of the towers falling. Stay away from the media. Take breaks. This is a generation that is saturated and overwhelmed with all of these tragedies and traumas that are happening, and they are incapable of staying away because this is their main lifeline of communication with their peers and their main way to get community. So that is a huge factor in what I believe is kind of setting up this generation to really have mental health problems, issues, um, without a lot of coping strategies to, to tolerate them. So as you talk about these uh, coping strategies, you, you've set up this uh, coaching platform. You know, Help us understand your approach to that mental and emotional coaching that you set up at WAVE and uh, you know, how it's set up to really meet people where they are. Yeah, so at Wave, we really wanted to take a different approach from what's out there. We have a ton of apps, great apps that are out there. There, When I started Wave, my father said to me, there are 20,000 mental health apps in the app store. What are you going to do differently? And I said, well, let me tell you <laughs> what I'm going to do differently. What we're trying to do is actually meet the digital natives where they are with an entry point and a, a sort of a doorway on their phone, which is really what they're used to. Find a Gen Z who loves picking up the actual telephone and um, you will shock me. Um, so we need this sort of digital entry point for them. But what we really also wanted is scientifically validated, scientifically backed interventions that I developed actually about eight, nine years ago at Stanford that have been tested and peer reviewed. And we know that they will work to decrease depression, stress and anxiety. And we wanted to deliver that in really a two form format. One in a self-guided way for general uh, digital natives to be able to um, kind of access the app and do what they need, and also to have real live human beings who can deliver the intervention and support them at the same time. Because fundamentally, we do believe that an app isn't enough. We still do need that interpersonal human connection at, at different points in our lives to make sure that we're really getting um, effective outcomes. It's powerful work that you're doing, and and we appreciate that. You know, for for all the young people that we have in, in our networks. So I want to think about this from the perspective of the employee, because a lot of times we'll work with organizations, and they'll say, "Ah, those young people, they just don't get it." The way we work around here. Um, let's look at it from their perspective. The the young person coming into the workplace. Give us some steps or some tips that they can use to take better care of themselves. Maybe they're not ready for this stressful, often difficult working world that they're going to find themselves in. So how, how do they adapt? How do they thrive? And, and firstly, I want to say um, the employees are right. These, these, these employees who are coming in, they don't have the tools. They don't have the skills. They don't have the, um, the same communication expectations or respect for hierarchy or corporate culture that have sort of been indoctrinated in millennials and Gen X and boomers. And so there is this sort of real culture clash. I, I sort of jokingly call it the men are from Mars, women are from Venus clash that we see between generations where you have these boomer, Gen X or millennial managers who have a very different experience expecting Gen Z to come in and adapt. And the reality is I think that's where, um, and they can't because they don't, not only do they not have, they're not speaking the same language. So not only do they not have the skills to really be able to get there, but um, the expectations are misaligned. So really, when we talk to employers and we um, are talking to our customers, we really encourage them highly to understand it from that perspective, that this is not just 
Gen Z being lazy or entitled or weak or not resilient or whatever the you know trope is about Gen Z. But really, this is a, a difference in, in language and communication kind of coming back full circle. And so what we really need to do is align um, our expectations really solidly because there's a lot of stuff that Gen Z is expecting that would actually benefit the rest of the workplace. So there's a little bit of a, uh, a systems issue here that we sort of need to address. And I kind of think about it the way I would think about a family therapy session. We've got a lot of different stakeholders in the room with a lot of different opinions and a lot of different communication styles. And our job is actually to find a common set of values and goals, which really is to drive the business as well as to promote um, the bottom line, which is very important. But you want to keep everyone pretty happy in order to achieve those common goals. So that's really the place where we start. You know, it's so interesting the way you set up the uh, platform and your engagement and so on. You mentioned that it's important to have a real person that people talk to as well. And there seems to be this theme of a lack of human connection that leads to a whole host of mental health challenges, right? So over and above your platform and that uh, entry point and app and so on, how are you helping people create more human connection in a world that's really becoming less and less connected? Totally. And I think this also goes back to this digital native, right, is that we are more and more reliant on our technology. And that is increasing um, this loneliness epidemic that the Surgeon General, right, has been talking about. Um, And um, we actually have a lot of research on loneliness. Loneliness can be, lack of connection can be as detrimental to your physical health as um, heart disease. And we know this is a really big deal. So At WAVE, we actually um, segment our our intervention, so to speak, into six different domains. And one of those domains that we focus on is connectedness. And there are lots of ways to achieve connectedness. And it really is kind of dependent on where is that skills deficit? What's interfering with your ability to connect? Is it that you're spending too much time on your phone? Because if it is, then we can kind of come up with a strategy for that and help you explore different avenues or different ways to connect with people outside. Is it that you're just a really social bird and you are out there making connections, but the connections are shallow and so they're not meaningful. And then we can create a program for you that really functions on developing skills towards increasing intimacy and increasing quality over quantity. So I think like at WAVE, we really don't look at this as a one-size-fits-all model. We do have these domains of connectedness that we do understand that everyone needs, but we work with you to understand what is the barrier that's interfering with you and your ability to connect, whether it be with your manager at work whether it be with your colleagues or whether it be with your partner at home or your friends. And so we can come up with a customized plan for you to really address those barriers and learn the skills that you need to feel more connected. Well, this leads us into uh, next my next question, which is how do people learn more about you and the work you're doing then, sir? Um, that's a really great question, I guess. And um, the... <laughs> I'm always sort of say my LinkedIn profile is the best place to learn it, learn learn more about me. You can also go head over to our website, which is at wavelife.io, or really just download the app. I feel like learning about me is not the most important thing, but like really, Wave is designed to to help you learn about yourself, so that you can um, you can make changes to live the life that you want to lead. Awesome. Good, good. Well, help us understand a little bit more. You've touched on this a little bit about you know the digital world, the digital natives, the Gen Z.
explore that a little bit with us? Yeah, so it's interesting because um, really uh, there is this double-edged sword in all of the research with social media. We've recently seen all of these lawsuits that are coming out against Meta against Instagram saying that they've designed these algorithms to be addictive um, and that it's true. I mean, without a doubt, they do function on the brain and, and chemically, neurochemically on the brain to make you want more. Anyone who's been on TikTok or Instagram can, or even LinkedIn, right, can can sort of um, acknowledge that in an anecdotal way. Um, but there's a flip side to it. There, there's a reality to this is how this generation is interacting. And so to ignore it or to fight against it, we kind of think is fruitless. We don't think that, the, that it's that important. Now, if we enter a world where TikTok gets banned, we'll find other ways to reach out. But ultimately, we do believe that um, reaching people where they are with high quality content, with content that can be trusted, um, with interventions that ultimately help people set limits on their social media is really the way to go. And the other flip side that I do really think is important to mention is that social media can be an incredible conduit for underrepresented populations that cannot find community um, where they are. So the LGBT population and BIPOC populations um, and people of color who cannot actually find connection in the world, social media has been demonstrated to be a, a, a huge um a huge connection, a huge way to connect with community to help them those those folks feel less, less isolated. You know, you made a comment here that really uh, popped out at me. You said it has to be trusted content. How do you know that it's trusted content? Do you have ways that you teach your people to say, look, here are some red flags if these pop up, um, you know, be beware? Yeah. And, and it's hard. It's, it's, we do, I've done a couple of um, pieces of social media that do sort of say, Hey, look out for these red flags. But the reality is it's really hard. And I think that, um, you know, you can slap Stanford professor on things and someone thinks that it's trusted content. But the reality is, is that I can say something inaccurate as easily as the next person. So I do think that folks really need to be careful. And then someone with a shared experience that I may not have might actually give information that really resonates with someone, even if it's not scientifically validated. So I think the danger is more about really understanding how does social media make you feel? Does it make you feel like you want, you're moving in the direction towards living the life that you want? Or is it making you feel badly about yourself? Is it making you feel um, less than? Is it making you feel like you want to compare yourself? So I think that like learning to use your own internal mindfulness signals and data is really an important tool with social media. And by the way, that's a really tough ask when we're talking about something that's working on your brain like cocaine. So right. it's really, really tricky. And I don't think that there's just a really simple answer of what's good and what's bad, but at least having the understanding that all the information that you're taking in is not necessary, should not be taken as truth, I think is a good place to start. Yeah. So how do you manage all this? We're, we're always uh, interested in self-care. So you're knee deep in this or neck deep in this uh, every day. What are some of your self-care practices that... Uh, that work for you. Walk us through how you continue to thrive and keep your energy high and 
That's a good question. I know it's eight o'clock in the morning and my energy is high. So caffeine, <laughs> but that's only one part of it. I think I actually am pretty, um, I've learned in my 40s um, that self-care, it's really the oxygen mask metaphor, right? Is that it is so fundamentally paramountly important that I put my own oxygen mask on first before I can take care of anyone else. And so for me, that's pretty simple. I actually have ADHD. Uh, my whole family has ADHD. So for me, the, the recipe is very easy. It's it's about diet. It's about exercise four to five days a week, like regardless of how I feel. Um, and it's also about taking the time to stop my day at 345 so that I can go pick up my son and have a half an hour conversation with him on the drive home. And then we both can do work together afterwards. So it's about really monitoring what I'm doing. It's about getting those sort of basics, diet, exercise, sleep, Sleep is a huge one for me and really prioritizing that above all. Um, I think I do pretty well with self-care and a lot of that has been about allowing myself um, the grace and sort of the self-compassion to be able to take breaks um, and view them as restorative and not selfish. What a great thought. Yeah. Not selfish, but restorative. That's, I love that. Hey, this has been such a great conversation. It's flown, time's flown by, Sarah. Um, so you think about our podcast title, Anxiety at Work. If you had something as, a, as an expert in, in psychiatry and in, uh, in mental health to tell, especially Gen Z, beginning the workplace or, or somebody caring for somebody who, in Gen Z, what, what, what would you say would be a sort of summary of our conversation today? Yeah, I think that really making an assessment of um, goodness of fit, understanding what are your values and is this workplace, if you have the luxury to do this, which we don't all do, but is this workplace aligned with my values? And if not, what are the trade-offs that I'm making to be here? Is it that I'm taking a higher salary with something that actually I don't like that much? But understanding those values, understanding what your own values are and understanding the trade-offs in the workplace, I think is a mindfulness exercise can allow us to give ourselves um, the compassion to feel less anxious. So of course, I can go through all the things to say, take a deep breath when your boss talks to you and gets your heart racing. We all kind of know that stuff, but really understanding from a systemic level of how am I going to show up in this system? What is the system doing that is going, what is it going to elicit? Is it going to be, I sort of say, evaluate your job prospects the same way you would evaluate your dating prospects and really look <laughs> at it if you can from a two-sided coin that there, there will be trade-offs. No relationship is going to be perfect. Um, and no job is going to be perfect, but what are the things that you are actively choosing to do? And I think that creating agency and mastery around your own choices, understanding those trade-offs can go a long way to reducing anxiety and not feeling trapped. Great advice. Uh, our guest today has been Dr. Sarah Adler, Clinical Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Stanford University. Look her up on LinkedIn and search for Wave Life for all kinds of great mental health tips and tools and Sarah, thank you so much for your wisdom, for your enthusiasm, and uh, all the great information you've brought to our listeners today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Well, Chess, just uh, really another fascinating guest, Sarah Adler from Stanford, a psychiatric professor there, and who says, look, this generation is different than any generation before. We've never had digital natives joining the workplace and they're going to come at things from a little different perspective, right? Yeah, I, I, I thought it was interesting. She said, 
I lovingly call this generation the misery generation. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've every generation has misery. You know, whether it's uh, yeah. wars and and upheavals and so on. And they've just got more access to all the mess, and they can't stay away. You know, that's yeah. the way they process everything. It's with them twenty four seven. She said that I, I I I really tuned into her answer to your question. Are they more anxious, or do they just talk about it more? Yeah. And she said both, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. they are more anxious and they do talk about it more. So that was an interesting takeaway for me. Well, just her, you know, connection to nine eleven, which, you know, our generation all of course went through and, and, uh, you know, that's that we, we were, we were told, look, stop watching this, uh, get away from it, you know, go on a bike ride, go on, you know, and, and we all knew that we had to do that. And yet this generation can't. And that we have to understand that trauma is happening all around us and they're coming into the workplace. So there's going to be some clashes. And that's what she's talking about here. We have very different experiences. They're not going to start doing things our way, but also we, we need to change, but also they need to meet in the middle here and realize that uh, we have some differences in how we communicate. We all have to have the same goal to make this workplace, for instance, a better place. It's like a family counseling session. I love that. Yeah, I, I, a comment that said, show me a Gen Z that actually will make a phone call and I'll be shocked, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. even though we still call them phones. Uh, increasing human connection, that yeah. so important that loneliness is, is skyrocketing and, and the plus and the minus of the digital native, right? That, that it can serve underserved communities and helping them make connections. We, we took a little deep dive on the trusted information. I think that's going to continue to be a, really a big issue because she did say, how does it make you feel and so on? Well, I think misinformation can make you feel pretty good too, you know? And so <laughs> yeah. you've got you've to really uh, take a deep dive on that. Who am I connecting with? What are they telling me? You know, is yeah. it, can it be validated? Uh, again, coming back though to that human connection. Do we have human connections that we can rely on? that yeah. seem to be ever more important, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I think the last thing I took away was that, look, goodness of fit, she talked about, you know, when we are looking and examining, closing out, examining where we're working. And, you know, this is so important for Gen Z that's that's very mission and purpose driven um, that maybe, yeah, you're going to take a job for a little bit more money, but there may be trade-offs. If you simply examine them, it can help you be less anxious about it. Um, but also that we have to realize at some point this may not fit and that will help our anxiety if we find the right thing for us. We have to evaluate our job prospects like we evaluate our da dating prospects. I love that. <laughs> and uh, last for me was uh, give yourself a break. You know, when you're doing your own personal maintenance, give yourself a little grace. Uh, she said, look, my whole family's ADHD. And so we're really focused on uh, diet and exercise and sleep, and taking those breaks and giving yourself a little grace that just says, look, I, I, I need a break uh, to recuperate and, and grace. And when we, we think about grace, uh, who are we uh, grateful for, Adrian? It's well, our producer. Especially <laughs> to our producer, Brent Klein, to Christy Lawrence, who helps us find amazing guests, and to all of you who listen in, who download. Um, if you like the pod podcast, please share it. We'd love you also to visit thecultureworks.com for some free resources to help you and your team culture thrive. Yeah, we love speaking around the world as well, whether it's in person or virtual. I'm talking to culture, teamwork, resilience. 
give us a call. We'd love to talk to you about your event and, and stop by and pick up our book, uh, Anxiety at Work. Lots of great tips in there as well. So, Adrian, um, what would you say to wrap this up? <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Until next time, we wish you the best of mental health. Thank you.